I'm Graham from Oxford, England. I'm Claire Zolke from Chicago, Illinois. I'm John from Washington, D.C. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Welcome to The Sound of Young America. I'm your host, Jesse Thorne. What the second city was to American comedy in the 1970s, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater is today. The school and stage of the UCB, as it's known, are the breeding ground for the most exciting new performers in sketch, stand-up, and especially improv comedy. My guests today are two of the founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade, Matt Walsh and Ian Roberts. Along with Matt Besser and Amy Poehler, they're the leaders of a new vanguard of comedians coming out of New York and Los Angeles. Since their days improvising and writing and performing sketch together in the 1980s in Chicago, they've appeared in dozens of films and television shows, from the Upright Citizens Brigade TV show on Comedy Central to The Daily Show, Old School, The Hangover, Bring It On, Arrested Development, Anchorman, Reno 911, and many others. Now they're playing brothers on their own series on Spike TV called Players. It's set in a sports bar where Roberts is trying to pull things together with a little bit of corporate decorum, while Walsh's lazy nonchalance threatens to tear things apart. Here's a scene from the show. So in the future, if someone vomits, don't just put up the caution floor wet sign. Clean it up. Agreed? All right, we're done. All right, no. Now we're on to the fun part of the meeting. I had a dream last night, and I got inspired. We're going to have a grand opening. We had a grand opening. Okay, fine. We'll call it a grand reopening. Okay, but if we have a grand reopening, we still need to have something new to promote. And guess what? We do. I have come up with a new Players, Employees, Rules, and Regulations manual. I want everybody to commit these to memory. We are going to raise our standards up to soup ranch level. We're going to let people know that you can depend on a consistent dining and drinking experience at this establishment. You broke down greetings into drink greetings, food mm-hmm. order greetings, check-in greetings, and exit greetings? That's great, huh? Did you catch the game last night? Speaking of which, how about a dessert as good as last night's game? It's funny. I think that was... I love that one. I think you're confusing clever with funny, Ken. The game clock's running down. Here's your check. Do you want us to time people as they eat? No, it's just a joke. They're meant to be lighthearted. Most of them incorporate a sports theme. And they're just a way to seem like, you know, offhand and fun. What's a food quarterback? That's a waiter. Okay. Matt, Ian, welcome to the Sunday Young America. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. Um, do, you, do you guys remember meeting each other? I think mm. the first time I met Ian was uh, I had a party in Chicago, and uh, he happened to be dating somebody that my roommate knew, so we hung out on the back porch. There was, if there was food there, I would not remember that experience. Yeah, you were probably <laughs> near the food. Are you yeah. a blackout you, eater? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah food coma. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't. I did catch you in my pantry ripping open a, open a box of Ritz crackers. Yeah, that was off-putting. But I confess to this now too. I also drank half a gallon of milk and filled it up with water. So if you had some watery milk, that was what that was. <laughs> Not a big milk drinker, so my roommate uh, probably noticed it. I apologize to Neil. Okay. So the second city has uh, these touring companies who do tours of. Um, uh, a sort of uh, a combination of some new stuff, but mostly the sort of repertory of the second city that's been built up over, you know, the past 30, 40, 50 years. 
what's it like to uh, for a lot of people that's like a first real job in comedy um, that was my first real job I mean like that's I did where I stand- stopped working yeah, yeah. I haven't stopped. I haven't had to take a real job since that. I mean, I did stand up for a couple of years, but I always had to kind of support myself with odd jobs. But once I got into Second City, I never had to do a real job. Yeah, I haven't either. But it's been illusory because I, I also <laughs> ran up my credit card seventy thousand dollars two times during that time of not having to work since I've become a professional comedian. You never looked back. But I paid them off. So uh, you know, I look at it like where your balance is at the end of your life. So right now, I'm up. Yeah. But you just took out a big home loan. I did. So now yeah, you're down. No, yeah. Now you now you owe the bank again. It's true, yeah. Um what was it that you weren't getting um uh the two of you and your your colleagues in the Upright Citizens Brigade like Horatio Sands and um Amy Poehler and and so on. Um what was it that you weren't getting from doing the Second City from being involved in this huge international comedy brand? Um this place that has generated so many great comedians for so many years and has such a, you know, it's such a smoothly oiled machine. Um, what were you not getting from that, that, uh, led you to start the upright citizens brigade? I think a couple of things. One you mentioned is that you're doing other people's material. There's very little room for you to, we wrote, Ian wrote like an old sketch fortune cookie, which ended up in our TV show, but, uh, ask Penny had its debut. Oh, ask Penny had its debut on second city stage too, but there's very little room for new sketches unless you, hang in and get on a main stage, which can happen in one year, can happen in five years. And then there's no guarantee who you're going to work with. So you're able to do your own material. You're able to work with who you want and you're able to get up as many nights a week as you want. So I think we also like to be pretty irresponsible or we did when we were youngsters about what we did. So we would do stuff at second city, like throw boxes of cereal that we got from somebody that was handing out samples, throw them at the audience and the audience started throwing the, Table tents, yeah, the, the table plastic tents table at tents us. back at us, and we got in huge trouble. And we ended up getting a director for our company who came in and gave a talk like he was an army sergeant. I've been brought in here to pull this unit together. You guys are the, you know, whatever the cancer in this organization. It was like, are you kidding me? And then, yeah, we got uh, we had one time where we had this big sit down, and the director had to explain how there was this conflict in the company that we were completely unaware of. Yeah. And it was because we would improvise, and we improvised, I don't know, fast and furious, and people felt like we were didn't Hogging the res- stage or respect something. their talent or something. Like, oh, my God. So that kind of stuff. You're just, like, you just want to do exactly what you want to do and take whatever risks you want to take and do exactly what you want to do and not have somebody who's worried about their corporate image. The worlds of uh, improv, improvised comedy and, and sketch comedy are uh, deeply related, especially at the Second City. Um, and, and there are sort of um, subsections within those categories. At the Second City, often improvisation is used to develop sketch material, um, uh, sketches being the kinds of things you might see on Saturday Night Live. Um, uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade was very well known for doing a, a kind of improvisation called long-form improvisation uh, that is different from what people might think of if they think of improv, if, if they've seen Whose Line Is It Anyway?, They've seen people playing um, improv games that, that essentially sort of offer a setup and, and people play within that setup. Um, it, it's a type of improvisation where uh, often um, uh, a narrative or a series of inter- interrelated scenes or, um, uh, or such are developed from relatively few 
inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes just one thing at the beginning of a show. Describe how it's different as as an experience as a performer to perform um, long form from performing, you know, a, a short form like a, a comedy sports or a, a whose line is it anyway? It's like a hundred times more satisfying. Yeah, it's I feel just... like short form. There's a lot of pressure to deliver. Like when I think of short form, the stuff I did is like make a song or re- emotional rewind, and I, I find that. Re- in some ways, like a crossword puzzle difficulty because you have these these squares you have to fill. Whereas in long form, if you understand the basics and you listen and play the top of your intelligence, there's just so much more freedom. And I feel like that's easier to succeed in a way. It's also something that there's the possibility when you do long form improv that you could transcribe that and it could be a sketch. And without knowing that there was some trick, some difficult little thing you were doing, there's really nothing. If you didn't know it was improv, you'd say that's garbage. I don't want to. Right. You know, you couldn't have it on TV. You'd say, "What is that?" You have to know. So the the trick and the difficulty of it is part of the enjoyment. And to me, I just want to get something as close to great sketch, which is what I loved as a kid. You know, seeing Monty Python or the best stuff on Saturday Night Live. And- yeah, I guess it lacks that moment where people are feel like, "Oh, he's in a corner. How's he going to get out of this?" Long form. When you were performing uh, in those early days as the Upright Citizens Brigade, um, what kind of stuff were you doing? Were you doing sketches, improv, a a mix? Mostly sketch. A lot of interactive, like audience plant stuff, you know, break the fourth wall. We kind of made a bread and butter on that a lot of the times. At one point, you faked a suicide, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, Adam McKay had a headshot that he hated. And he, looked, he thought he looked like a real ass, like a real smiling monkey. And so he put it up all over Chicago and said, this man is going to kill himself. No joke. And it was like, come see it. And then uh, we talked to the guy across the street from the theater we were at. And they had a 10-story building. We said, can we throw a dummy off the building? And it was Wicker Park, which was very bohemian at the time. He's like, yeah, go for it. Which is crazy, you know, ridiculous. <laughs> and part of that night was also, I think, out being out with torches on the street and handguns, and the cops came. <laughs> so, yeah. Where did you even get handguns? Oh, you fake know, handguns. little fake handguns. But for a cop, a oh, Chicago okay. cop, In that seeing, case, it's pretty reasonable. Seeing a, a bunch of people basically blocking North Avenue with guns in their hands, <laughs> torches, and you know, what, why did you want to do this crazy stuff? What was the appeal? I, <laughs> I guess you just want to push the the boundaries or like break the form a little bit like i know a lot when we started doing like improv and sketch uh in chicago second city obviously is the monolith and and i think everybody looks up to that as like oh you have to do that and i think sort of forming your own trail is is what's behind it is like well you don't have to do that or we can deconstruct what they do or we can kind of mock what they do I think that's the seeds of the you know the beginning of getting into someone throwing them, a body off the roof. I think we like discomfort a little bit. We've always in our shows <laughs> try like we used to do one thing. We'd bring my wife up yeah. in, in our show, and she would she would Pretend supposedly to do, a do nitrous, nitrous oxide, and then she'd pull the balloon away from her face, and her nose would be bleeding. So she'd have a little blood capsule. She'd pop, and she'd be laughing and giggling, and the audience would go oh, and then she'd leave, and we'd just go on with the show. And because we had so little care. In about a minute, they got the joke yeah. that, it, that it had been a, a plant. But I think that's something we have always enjoyed. And I guess playing it real, like like creating those awkward moments by playing things completely seriously, like sometimes in sketches, it's a little fakey. Matt, Matt did a bit where he kept on um, announcing that a car was blocking 
a driveway and that then there was someone who was injured and they can't get out because of this. They had a heart attack. They can't get out because the ambulance you're blocking the driveway. In. And then finally he came back and said the person died and the audience was just completely bummed out. Like sometimes it doesn't work because <laughs> that one I think we really did suck the air out of the- I thought it was funny because it was a general parking lot. So how could you assume that that person was in the room? <laughs> But it was a subtle point that no one got. <laughs> it seems to be outweighed a little bit by the issue of issues of life and death. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and that people care about other people. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Matt Walsh and Ian Roberts. Um, they're stars of the new Spike TV series called Players, in which they play um, brothers who are co-owners of a um, a sports bar. They're also two of the founding members of the Upright Citizens Brigade. Here's a scene from the Upright Citizens Brigade television show. Angela, I asked the doctor to let me break the news to you. Oh, Angela, I have less than a week to live. Oh, Gary. Angela, I love you so much. Oh, Gary, I love you too. Angela, I have one dying wish. No, I can't. No, Gary, what is it? Anything. No, you have enough to think about. Please, Gary, tell me what it is. Smack my ass with a dildo. What? What? Smack my ass with a dildo. Why? Because I love you. You are being watched by a secret organization. Their mission to find chaos where it exists and create chaos where it does not. They are the Upright Citizens Brigade. The narrator on your uh, television show um, on Comedy Central was uh, Del Close, who is, um, uh, you know, along with maybe... Viola Spolin, who more or less invented contemporary improv, is one of the sort of greatest heroes of of the story of improv in the United States. Um, you guys studied with him, um, and I, I uh, you know, I, I once interviewed this guy who, who who wrote a book about about taking care of Del Close um, uh, in his later years. The revelations in that book included that Del Close ate marijuana like it was cereal out of a bowl with a spoon. Um, a real wild man, um, uncowed by the passing of years. Um, what are your um, uh, What are your greatest memories of of this guy who who's inspired so much of the the improv world? Here's just a memory is one that he, he was trying to give up smoking constantly. So he'd wear a rubber band on his wrist and slap it against his wrist. The theory being it releases endorphins and helps you to not need uh, the cigarette. And then the, the big joke with Dell was that you could, you could basically replicate a Dell story by combining a drug and a famous celebrity. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was like a game. <laughs> Because he would had just a, the craziest life, you know, from running lights for the Grateful Dead to... I was booting junk with Shields and Yarnell once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this happened, yeah. But he was a uh, he was uh, con- cantankerous. <laughs> yeah, was, quickly. Would, yeah, he would, uh, like, somebody would not be getting it to a point that it frustrated him enough that he wrote a check from his own checkbook and said, 
here, you're gone. I can't, I can't teach you. Or we've been doing, we've been working on this for five weeks. Just issuing get, a refund. Yeah, just get out of here. And uh, most people have a story of where he tore you a new a-hole. He had the reputation and the people he'd worked with were uh, so impressive that when you went into the classroom, he would often regale you with stories. And that was always fascinating. And uh, you sort of saw him as someone who could anoint you as like an established comedian. So you're always trying to win his favor. And... Which didn't work. No. <laughs> who, who, he, who he loved would always be people you might think were kind of the misfits. And what it was is that they were guileless and they weren't performers and they were being completely honest. And that was his big thing, you know, truth, truth. You got to be truthful. And if you were up there and you were facile and kind of funny in some, in some sort of slightly repetitive way. Like, yeah, I get that. You're doing that kind of thing. He wasn't impressed, you know, which that's a lot of what passes as good comedy is competent comedy. How, how did um, working with him affect each of you in your own comedy performance styles? I feel like I've probably said this a million times, but I feel like what impressed me about Dell is just that, the experimentation. He was never satisfied with the simple task of you know executing improv he was always trying to push the form and he also made you feel like it's your form like he would say this is what you should be doing you should be taking what uh where improv is at and you should be then embracing it and pushing it to the next level that that made me feel like oh i'm part of this legacy like if i come up with something new then i'm i can pass it on to people that you know do it after me so i always enjoyed that and he always treated it like a profession which nobody i'd ever been in the room with he was always like you should read he would give reading lists out. He would just say, "You should, if you want to be an improviser, you should read the newspaper every day and you should have read these following books and you should speak at least one language. Because he's saying, like, if you're going to be a professional you satirist... You certainly speak at least one language. <laughs> one language, yes. <laughs> yes. Did I say that? You did say that. <laughs> that's why I'm a good comedian. I make great mistakes. You should at least speak one language. Yeah, that's, I, I stand by that. A lot of people say, like, mime... It's funny, but no. If you're not speaking a language, it's not funny. You know, they say the same thing about public radio hosts. What's that? It's good to speak at least one language. <laughs> you should put that in your office. For, <laughs> words to live by. If you're going to be in radio, you should at least speak one language. For example, Nina Totenberg. Yes. She speaks English. Yeah. Oh, that's a great... Yeah. I can, I that's anecdotal, though. I'm sure there's an exception to host of a radio, radio host show that doesn't, doesn't speak, speak a language. A language. Yeah, well, there's that guy who taps on his mic, Kai Rizdal, but, but no one listens. And if you're no one's listening, are you really doing a radio show? He just taps on the mic. You, know. yeah, it's like it's three right. hours. We'll have more with Matt Walsh and Ian Roberts, founding members of the Upright Citizens Brigade and stars of the new show Players. After a break, it's the sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI Public Radio International. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Hey, what's happening? Mike Schmidt, host of the 40-Year-Old Boy Podcast. Available on iTunes and at MikeSchmidtComedy.com. What's the show about, you ask? I can hear you asking it. That's right. You know what the show's about? Me hearing people talking in their houses as they play me. That's right. Well, if you're playing my podcast or you hear my voice, please know that I can hear you at all times. I'm tapped in like that. I'm kind of like the dog whisperer, but via podcasts. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. So go to MikeSchmidtComedy.com. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the 40-Year-Old Boy Podcast. It's no uh, uh, Sound of Young America radio show show but 
It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Ian Roberts and Matt Walsh. They're founding members of uh, the improv and sketch comedy group, the Upright Citizens Brigade, who have theaters in Los Angeles and New York, had their own television program and on Comedy Central and have, uh, as uh, uh, teachers and empresarios, brought many of uh, the best young comic talents in the country to the fore. Um, They also have a new television show on the Spike Network called Players. Ian, this is the first time you've ever been on The Sound of Young America. Um, uh, I've made The Sound of Young America for years, though. That's true. Um, Back in my college days, I had a friend who... um, I had a friend who had a friend who worked in the movie theater. And so we could go into the movie theater for free. And what that translated to as a practical matter was that we went to see a lot of movies that we might not otherwise have gone to see. You're going to Mm -hmm. confess to seeing Bring It On. Yes, I am. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, uh, Yeah, that's a chick's flick, and there's no... There's no way you can explain that away by free movies. You should never have seen that movie. You should be ashamed of yourself. So uh, I want to play. Here's a scene with um, Ian Roberts as uh, a sort of um, uh, a ringer, a ringer choreographer who brought in to uh, train the cheerleaders in Bring It On in a new routine that is sure to take them to the top of the cheerleading competition. Thanks for coming. Don't speak. Don't think. Listen and learn. I am a choreographer. That's what I do. You are cheerleaders. Cheerleaders are dancers who have gone retarded. What you do is a tiny, pathetic subset of dancing. I will attempt to transform your robotic routines into poetry written with the human body. Follow me or perish, sweater monkeys. That's just one of my favorite uh, performances, not just by you, but anyone in a, in a you know, small role in a movie. You just come on and, and, and Nail it. take the whole thing over. Um, you guys have both done, I mean, you've done lots of work, lots of big roles. You, you made a feature film together. Um, you know, you, Matt, you were a correspondent on the Daily Show for a time, but you've also, both of you, done a lot of these kind of three, two, one scene roles in comedy films. Um, how do you, how do you prepare for that? And how do you, um, uh, how do you handle a situation where you have to show up on, show up on this set for one day or three days and, um, you know, you're expected to hit it out of the park with something well, that's so small. I'll tell you so this, I take it just as seriously as any role. If you saw my work in I Love You, Man, uh, it could be simply described as a person stepping in uh, dog excrement, dog excrement, and, um, <laughs> and then yelling at someone and then being cowed when he's yelled back at. But it took months, months of research. I, uh, I got a dog, which unfortunately I then gave to um, the Humane Society and was euthanized. I wish someone would have picked it up. But um, I needed the dog to defecate for me so I could step in it. And I would uh, every day step in it. And how does that make me feel? And then the important thing, then I realized that wasn't enough. I said I had to be in a public situation because that's what happened. If you have seen the movie, I'm on the Venice boardwalk. And uh, 
So at first I was in my backyard. I'm like, something doesn't feel right. This isn't going to play. The comedy is not going to, this isn't going to do it. So then I started going public with it. And then I actually shot in front of the target and I, I went to New York, brought the dog onto the stage of the Lion King, had the dog defecate and stepped in it. So I could see what is the most horrible situation where... And you were thrown out promptly. I was thrown out. And then I realized that actually it was too much because actually the feeling was more, why did I ruin this show that people spent a hundred dollars Well, I think you clocked in a thousand hours reenacting a scene that's only 20 seconds. Yeah. So you did it that many times. It shows. Um, I, I want to play one more scene from uh, uh, a project that you, you worked on, Matt, um, in between uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade TV show and now. It's a scene from um, a show called uh, Dog Bites Man, um, which was a, a combination of um, sort of curb your enthusiasm style, uh, semi-improvised uh, relationships between actors and work that was done in uh, in real life in public, and this is you in front of a um, in front of a, just a monstrous real bodybuilder at a bodybuilding gym. I'm here at Gold's Gym, the mecca of bodybuilding. Behind me stands a man who's using very low weights to high repetitions to exaggerate the fact that he can't handle massive curls. No one cares if you're drug-free if you can only do 15-pound curls. Why is there so much chronic sexual dysfunction in this world? And why do so many of them have reputations as playthings for moneyed homosexuals like this gentleman? You've always married real life with improvisation pretty freely um, ever since you're theater days when you were you know throwing a dummy off of a roof and inviting an audience (laughs) and uh eventually an uninvited audience of police officers to watch um uh what do you like about mixing those two worlds i think i think once you're going for a while it just shakes things up and people you know get a little woken up i don't mean any way like (laughs) You mean the viewer? Socially conscious. Yeah, I mean, no, I I just mean they just get, it kind of reinvests you. It's just another, because you attenuate to any stimulus. And so if you go ahead and shake it up and you, all of a sudden someone's coming from the audience like, oh, what's that? You know, and and as long as it's not the main thing out there, there's not that much of it. It's something that's a little exciting. Yeah, and I guess the formula for comedy is to create tension and then relieve it. And nothing creates tension better than like something that's real and awkward. You know what I mean? Like, if you, if you can create that, uh, and then if, we, had the, we had this, I think our best ever tension bit was the abortion song. Yeah, the Aluna. The first time we went to New York, nobody knew us. It was our first bit in New York, literally, I think, as a group. And the bit is that Matt's going to improvise a song, and he wants a suggestion, and he forces Amy to tell him about his day. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. She's like, Well, what did you do today? And she's like, I had an abortion. And then it just played as if, like, oh, God, dude. Like, why and, did you- and she said it's so low. Yeah. So I couldn't hear that. And and the audience, most of them heard it. And yeah. they think the guy really hasn't heard it. Bester hasn't heard it. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What was it? And the audience like, no. Your people would say <laughs> oh, no. God. Don't ask her again. Yeah. And so she'd tell. And then um, 
And then he would go ahead at the end and s- sing some idiotic song. Oh, yeah. But it was um, – But I think we uh, we ended up – like you were the doctor, weren't you, or something? Oh, yeah. That's how it built. So the, yeah. the, the tension was relieved by um, – you'd go, he'd go, okay, we're going to go on to someone else because he didn't want to do that. How about you? Um, I hit a woman with a car and, and she, uh, she, had had to get... to, she had to get an abortion. I mean, one, what do you do? I, what do, you do? <laughs> I'm, I'm a doctor. doctor. Oh, good. That must be fun. Well, but what do you do? I perform, I perform abortions. abortions. And yeah. so he, everybody he tries to find... By then, the audience is laughing. But you start with this huge tension. And why wouldn't they be? Because <laughs> they know we're lying. <laughs> but, uh, it, I, you know, it works. I think you get a bigger... It's like pulling the bow back further, the arrow goes further. So the more discomfort and the more... Unf- then when you get there, and then they also feel like... I don't know, like they're in on something special Yeah, or there's something a bit like, of community involved. Yeah. 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 You guys improvise uh, uh, together here in uh, Los Angeles at a weekly show called Ask Cat. Um, uh, and when you guys are performing a scene together, um, something that I often enjoy the two of you specifically uh, doing is you often have these scenes where e- each of you is um each of you is completely grounded completely sincere completely dedicated to some conflict between the two of you in which um uh, often it's sometimes it's the other way around but often ian will just get progressively more upset and concerned and serious about something while you matt continue to continually undercut him and poke him, but again, while retaining that intense seriousness. And I, I get the feeling that, that one of your great pleasures as comics is that grounding of something, no matter how far it goes, mm-hmm. holding yeah. it to the ground. It's, it's something that's big in our teaching is that People don't ever do things to be stupid or be idiots. We're all going through life trying to pursue pleasure and avoid pain. And with those criteria, do the stupidest things in the world. So assume that anything that's funny, it's that person doesn't know anything about it being funny. They, they think I'm doing the best thing for myself right now. It's going to help me. I'm going to, my yeah. life will be a little better and happier for this. And so we always insist that people have the logic for the absurd premise because we all do. We think there's no one who goes around thinking, I'm going to go out today and be illogical and stupid and get myself in trouble and be hated. You know, they all go out thinking, I'm going to try to get by. And yet the most bizarre things happen. It's, it's pretty much the difference between a joke and. A scene, really. Like, if you say something funny and absurd and then you don't have the logic for it, well, then it's just a joke and it's not a reality. But if you can catch that joke and sort of improvise the logic behind it and the philosophy behind that guy, and if that, if this, then what else is true kind of mentality is another thing we teach, then you get them for a whole scene or a whole improv. I can often end up with that person getting angry because imagine here you are, I'm being completely reasonable, I'm being logical, and you're, yeah. cre- and so you let you, so. <laughs> You end up getting angry at the person. How dare you, you know, defending your ridiculous premise that you should be able to marry a dolphin, you know? that. And, of course, so if you think you marry a dolphin, why? Well, they're intelligent. We've all heard that. <laughs> they're just how species, they're beautiful. But it's another species. Yeah. You could never have offspring. It's, 
Oh, it's is repulsive. that it? So that's the only reason. Well, so it's instantly repulsive to any human being. The uh, second, the second that you're with a woman, what you're thinking is, I can procreate with you. You're not thinking, oh, she's got a nice smile. Oh, that's interesting. Just on an instinctual where... level, we don't cross breed with species. Like there are some crimes, like we don't tolerate pedophilia because it's disgusting to us instinctively. It, there's the, the dolphin is not hurt by this. Really? You I can, would never you do can... anything a dolphin doesn't want me to do. How does, how does a dolphin communicate consent or understanding of what you're doing? It doesn't swim away. Are you holding the dolphin? Are you restraining it? In I'm, any... hold, I'm holding the dolphin the way I hold a lover. I'm making physical contact. The dolphin is much stronger than There's I am. No dolphins, way a dolphin can dolphins using their dorsal fin can jump 30 feet out okay, of the water. They're strong. I understand. They could, that. A dolphin could get away from me if it did not want to have Congress with There's me. There's no way that the dolphin is experiencing the same thing you're experiencing. You might think it's love, but you don't know that the dolphin thinks it's love. There's no way. The, I would say the dolphin's consenting to be with me, considering that it can very easily not be with me. It could, it could take me underwater and drown me. I can't hold my breath as long as the dolphin. The dolphin can get away from me. All right, that well. proves it loves me. <laughs> um, my guests are Ian Roberts and Matt Walsh. They're founding members of uh, the improv and sketch comedy group, the Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, they also have a new television show on the Spike Network called Players. Matt, did you did you come up with the um, the premise? Yeah, for I worked show? in a sports bar, and basically there were two brothers who were like oil and water. Is that the saying? Cain and Abel, Felix and Oscar. They were like oil and vinegar. They were they were like oil. Great they went really green. well. Yeah, <laughs> with a dash of spice. Uh-huh. Yeah, a little bit of mustard so it emulsifies. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, why, uh, what made you think of these two guys and, and what made you think that, uh, portraying them should be you and Ian? Uh, I guess for me personally, just from my experience, I'd spent five summers there and I knew a lot about the world. And I think sports bars are like a very iconic place to explore because when my town got a sports bar, I don't think anybody had seen a Papa shot machine indoors. Do you know what I mean? Like. It was a revolution back in the 80s. It was like, or to go to a place that had big screen TV. This is like when big screen TVs were breaking out and when cable TV was breaking out. So you could see like every game. Like it it was a huge deal to my town. So I think I kind of remember the sort of family feeling with the other employees and the partying and the the shenanigans that went on. But also like the impression and importance to the community. So I think that's probably why. Uh, Spike TV is this network that um, c- it carries like uh, Ultimate Fighting, all this all this real kind of dude oriented programming. It's a very young male uh, centric network, um, and this is a show that's set in a very male dominated world. This world of the sport. It has some fantastic female cast members as well, um, but it's a it's a man's world. Uh, the world of the sports bar. Um, was that something that you were conscious of when you were developing it and, and making it that you're, you're, you're sort of creating this thing about this dude place? No, I think we got lucky. Like, I think once I told them that it's in a sports bar, they go, great, let's make it. Like, cause they see <laughs> the simplest thing they can advertise and, and get people interested. But we made the show we wanted to make, like it, it's definitely our sensibility. We never catered to like, 
We just made things that made as, us as, laugh. As a matter of fact, to, to spice great credit, oh, yeah. we yeah. even tried a little bit. You know, we wrote a say we would have been happy with the episode, but we said, oh, let's do something where Matt's character was going to bring in some UFC fighters. They don't show up, so we have to fight. Like, ah, no. Like, and then it was like, you know what? We don't want to pander and try to make it like, oh, that's all we do. And so, and they actually tested, when they tested the pilot, they, what they liked about the show is that it brought female viewers like females uh enjoyed the show as much as men and they really want that for their channel so they're 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 behind you know yeah that's been my little thing a couple interviews i've done so far is to say you know that is anything extra you want to say i'd say yeah it's not that it's not some guy thing you got to be a 20 you know like 20 to 25 year old guy to like it you know it's a it's just good show that's you know has the, the whatever the I guess the alternative comedy sensibility that we've you know come up through. Matt Ian, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be on the Sound of Young America. Yeah, Thanks for having questions. Thank you, Matt Walsh and Ian Roberts are founding members of the Upright Citizens Brigade. Their new show on Spike TV is called Players. It runs Tuesday nights at ten thirty. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our editor is Nick White. Music provided to us by Dan Wally. You can visit us online at MaximumFun.org to get all our free podcasts or listen to our content absolutely for free. And if you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time right here on the Sound of Young America.